Um, but anyway, no slides, we'll have a, a, very, a kind of short discussion. Uh, we're going to resume, if you want to get your Bibles out and follow along, since it won't be on the, on the screen, uh, we're going to resume in Third John, that very short letter, which is found, uh, who knows where, in our Bibles. Almost at the back. Yeah, is your pardon? After second John. After second John, yes, very clever. <laughs> so, yeah, after second John, just before Revelation. Tiny little letter. Um, if you have pages in your Bible, it's probably just one page. And uh, about a month ago, I started off with just a quick review. We just looked at verse 1 to 4 of Sir John and asked the question, uh, is it well with your soul? As, as John writes a letter to his friend Gaius, which we don't know where he is, but he's in some, seems like he's in some distant church, some remote church somewhere, uh, probably some leader in that church. And he writes this personal letter to him. And in those first four verses, it, it's a pers very personal message. And he says, you know, I would like it to go well with you, your health and everything, but most important thing that it is well with your soul. And um, yeah, I hope with all of us here this morning that we could say it is well with my soul. And if not, then uh, that, that uh, great thing is that's one thing that can always be remedied. Our health deteriorates and other things deteriorate that cannot be remedied, like my car is on its last legs. <laughs> As I dropped off Marnus at the airport uh, to go back to university in Holland on a Friday morning, I drove back and I it just went from 70, 60, 50, and it just went slower and slower and slower. And I was like, the more I put, the, <laughs> I put my foot down, and it just wouldn't go any faster than 50. Um, and, and then warning lights came on and everything, and, uh, and my car is on its last legs. And it's the point of like, and you know what? Let's just kill this old thing because it's not economically repairable. Um, but when it's not well with our souls, it's always repairable. Um, it can always be fixed. So uh, John carries on with his letter after his greeting to Gaius, and we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 8. But it's helpful to, bit, to understand a bit what is he talking about, because this is a letter written to someone, and he it, and it talks about things like, and what is he talking about here? And it seems like he's addressing a situation in the church where Gaius is, where what happened at this time is with some of these remote churches, um, traveling missionaries would come, would pass through. <clears throat> and it's not like in today where you get a phone call and say, hey, this guy is coming to visit. He's from our church. We commend him. You know, please welcome him. And, and then, you know, you have a visiting speaker or someone, or you say, oh, yeah, will you do a communion message for us? Or maybe you can preach for us. And, you know, there was no email or a warning that someone would come. Sometimes they would literally just show up. And say, hey, we are here, we're Christians, we are missionaries, and you know, we're just traveling through, and could you help us? And what happened, what seems to have happened, is that some of these remote small churches became quite strongly independent to the point of being very protective and, and almost being tribal in how they were running the church. And, and certain leaders in those churches were sort of claiming the church for themselves and would not allow even visitors to come 
to speak in the church, or they would not even welcome them. It's like, who are you? Who sent you? We don't know you. That kind of attitude. And it seems like Gaius did the opposite. He welcomed those visiting preachers, those strangers who just showed up. And that's the context of what we're going to read now in verse 5 to 8. So John writes to him in verse 5, and he says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. So it seems like he welcomed them, these strangers, and then because they, they were received in love, when they went back to where John is, they shared and told the church about, wow, you know this guy Gaius in that church? He is re really loving. He really loved us when we, when we showed up there. Um, so he carries on and he says, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. So instead of sending them like some of the people said, go away, you're not welcome here. It's like, you know, send them off in a way that honors God. We carry on. He says, it was for the sake of the name. Now, who would that be? The name, for the sake of the name that they went out. Most likely refers to Jesus. Um, so it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Often when, uh, when passages like this are a bit like in puzzling, I like to go to the message translation, which explains and paraphrases it a bit more. So I'm going to read this again in the message translation. It says, Dear friend, when you extend hospitality to Christian brothers and sisters, even when they are strangers, you make the faith visible. They've made a full report back to the church here, a message about your love. It is good work you're doing, helping these travelers on their way. Hospitality worthy of God himself. They set out under the banner of the name and get no help from unbelievers. So they deserve any support we can give them. In providing meals and a bed, we become their companions in spreading the truth. So I just have two very short points today. And then we're going to have a communion at the end. Um, my first one is rumors of love. Now, there were, there's often rumors floating around. You hear things from different places. And nowadays, there's more than just rumors. There's fake news and <laughs> fake, fake news. And news that says the fake news is not really fake, and it all gets confused and everything. Um, these travelers went back to John with rumors of, of, of love. Uh, but... When he says here, when he writes to Gaius and he says, you are faithful in what you're doing for them, even though they are strangers to you. He receives them as strangers. This, uh, work, this word, strangers, in the Greek is uh, xenos. And it literally means a foreigner or a stranger or uh, someone you don't know or someone new or that you've never heard of. Xenos. Now, if you think, do you know a word that sounds a bit like xeno, xenos, yes? Xenophobia. So what does xenophobia mean? Fear of strangers. And what have you heard about xenophobia? Are they? 
<laughs> the British are, in what way are the British xenophobic? <laughs> or some of them. Let's not generalize, you know. <laughs> I'm sure Danny is not like that. <laughs> in what way are the British sometimes xenophobic? Yeah, a large part of the, the Leave campaign is kind of based on xenophobia, fear of strangers. Like, we don't want all these foreigners here, all these people who speak different languages and... Like you know, Afrikaans. Yeah, like Afrikaans, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lisa. Yeah, in South Africa over the last few years, if even think last year, this recent year, last year, last year there was some major outbreaks of violence. Of it's all about xenophobia, and they would just go and into the townships and burn down houses of of, of foreigners, um, and that's quite extreme. Uh, and maybe you know, I think uh, we think, oh well, you know, I'm not like that. I don't have any xenophobia. I don't know, fear of strangers or fear of foreigners or fear of other races or languages or Eastern Europeans or, or whatever. <clears throat> but I think it's, I think it's all in our sinful nature to have some kind of fear of strangers for, for probably for most or at least many of us. That sense of, oh, th this one is not from my tribe. And it may not be as extreme as in South Africa where it breaks out in violence and, you know, you go and burn down things and throw bottles and break cars and windows and, and things. But that, that, that thing in your heart that stirs up like, oh, I'm not so sure if I can trust this one because it's not from my tribe. And, and may not even be racial. It could be religious as well sometimes. You know, imagine if we are here, you know, we're just this group here, and someone shows up and he says, oh, he's a traveling missionary. What's our first thoughts? Like in, hmm, which church are you from? Yeah. For many of us, that would be the first thoughts. Like, hmm, can we trust you? Shall we? And he says, oh, can I, you mind if I you know, preach a sermon to you? Like, oh, well, I don't know. We can't allow that. We don't know you. We don't trust you. That's exactly what was happening in, in, in Third John. Um, and on the one hand, there's a good heart behind it to try and protect the flock, and we don't want any false teachings here, and that's exactly what was uh, sometimes going on in these churches. Some people came with false teachings and new ideas, and the Jews came from Jerusalem and said, oh, you need to be circumcised. And so there was all sorts of things going on. So sometimes it's from a good heart, but uh, it, it's so easy for us to look at someone and say, oh, you're a stranger. I'm not sure if I can trust you. Um, even Christians, sometimes we label like that, or we have that barrier or that distance. That not from our tribe. It's interesting, I mean, uh, growing, up, growing up in South Africa, uh, <coughs> you know, people joke, make jokes. And jokes are, in South Africa growing up, jokes are always about the Boer and the Englishman, or the Afrikaner and the Englishman. <laughs> You know, enough. And the Englishman, of course, was always the stupid one doing the silly thing. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then in 94, I came to England, and I realized, oh, in the UK, the Englishmen are the clever ones. And the joke is always about an Englishman and an Irishman and a Scotsman who walk into a pub. 
uh, and the Irishman seems to be the stupid one. <laughs> and the joke is always on the Irishman. And then uh, we moved to Namibia, and I found that, oh, actually, the Oshivambo joke about the Herero. You know, there's the, always this tribalism of one tribe is kind of, you know, we're the clever ones, and they're the stupid ones who do the silly things. And, and we moved to Amsterdam, and the Dutch joke about the Belgians, <laughs> about these stupid Belgians. You know, it's like, it seems to be in our nature to, to have this kind of tribalism. And, and I think it's very deeply rooted because maybe through evolution, that's how we protected ourselves, by forming tribes. And, and you know, there's the, the, the safety in community. So there's some good in that, but uh, what John tries to address here is that, that don't let that get in the way of the kind of love that God wants us to have. And he, he tells Gaius, you know, I, I, I want to commend you for the way you've loved these people, even, even though they were strangers to you. And that is something really special about our Christian community, which I think is... is uh, um, we need to make sure that we perpetuate that and strengthen it and, and, and not lose it. Uh, Lisa and myself and our family, we, we experienced it so many times. When, when I first came to London, Liesl was still finishing off work, so I came a month or two before her. And someone I never met in my life and I haven't spoken to met me at the airport and picked me up. And he said, oh, you're coming to stay with me. And he welcomed me in his house as if I was treated me like part of the, his family. And I lived with him for a month. That was Michael O'Hanlon. He's in the North region. And he treated me like part of his family. And as a, I was a very young disciple then. And for me, that was like, you know, wow, this is really amazing. This guy, he's come something special. But then over time, I realized, no, it's not this one guy that's special. That, it's, it's, it's the Christian love that is special. And I experienced it many times after that. When we moved to Amsterdam uh, for me to go and serve in the ministry there and diesel work, uh, we didn't have a place to stay when we j just arrived. We had to go and find a place to rent and everything. And someone picked us up at the airport, same thing. And they said, oh, you're going to stay at Menno's flat. And same thing. I said, well, where's Menno? Oh, Menno's on holiday. But here's his keys, and you know, enjoy yourself. You'll be there for the next three weeks while Menno's on holiday. And it's like, wow, that, that's amazing. I don't, he's never met me. He doesn't know what I'm like. I've never met him, yet he opens his house to me completely. That is the kind of love that John talks about here to Gaius. And he said, you know, that is honoring God to send people on their way in that way, to, to show them hospitality. <coughs> even to strangers. And, you know, that just kept on carrying on over the years. I've seen it so many times that, that Christians just open, open their homes, even here in, in Watford, you know, Malcolm and Penny opened their home to us. And, you know, they didn't know what we were like. Penny didn't know that I was going to eat all her ice cream every time. <laughs> every time she looked at me, where's the ice cream? Oh, well, sorry, <laughs> it's me, finished it. <laughs> and... You know, and, and then Charles and Bromden opened their home, and, and Kate and Barry opened their home. Oh, we're on holiday. You can go and stay in our place. And, and being treated not as guests or some, like, an, oh, I don't know if we can trust them, but, but really treated like, like members of their household. Now, hold that thought, being treated like a member of someone's household, because we're going to come back to that at the end in the communion. 
But here's a, a thought, I think some thoughts to reflect on. Um, do you have any biases in your heart that's kind of tribal in nature, that you think like, oh, I don't know about strangers? And you know, I know we teach our children don't trust strangers, and there's a good reason for that, because some strangers are not to be trusted. Uh, but John does address the issue. He said, <clears throat> you know, you treated these Christians, Christian missionaries, even though they were strangers to you, you treated them with love. Um, and, uh, and let's think about how we can imitate that kind of love that, that John talks about. The second point is, uh, I want to make is a, um, a loving partnership. John writes here, and he says, uh, you know, these traveling missionaries, they don't get any help from unbelievers. You know, they travel around, and it's, you know, they go to the pagans, and the pagans mostly chase them out of the town or persecute them or want to kill them or want to get rid of them. And the only help they get are from the Christians. And then he finishes off in uh, verse 8. <coughs> he says, so they deserve any support we can give them in providing meals and a bed, we become their companions in spreading the truth. Or in the NIV, it says, uh, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. There's the sense of, of working together. The, the ESV talks about fellow workers. And Holman uh, <coughs> talks about co-workers as, uh, as partners in the gospel. And we find this throughout the New Testament in, in, Corinthi in Corinthians. Paul writes and, and he talks about Titus to the Corinthian church. And he says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. He writes to the church in Philippi, where he only spent that short time. And he says, for it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. Paul writes to Philemon, he says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This whole idea of, he writes to Philemon, same kind of message, you know, welcome this guy as you would welcome me. The sense of, of, of a partnership in the gospel, that, um, that we work together. In this context, it talks about the partners as actually these traveling missionaries, these servants. Uh, maybe they, they're full-time in the ministry, some kind of apostles. Uh, maybe they were teachers. Maybe they were evangelists. But the appeal is that we ought to support them, show them our support. We ought to, to uphold them. And it is, if we think in our context, you know, in our congregation, Malcolm has that role. But we also take up a missions contribution to support uh, interns in the London church and to support other smaller churches and uh, probably later this year a planting in uh, Cardiff, I believe. And someone will be going there as a, as a missionary to be supported. Um, and uh, it is right and it's righteous that we support those who make their living by the gospel. Um, there's an important thing here which I've 
come to realize, and I've developed some strong, strong convictions about, uh, which is worth for us thinking about that, what does this mean, supporting? In our case, you know, we support Malcolm because he works full-time for the church. We live in a society where people are employed. And people are employed to work for the employers. You know, it's like, oh, I employ this guy. He's working for me. He's there to work for me, to answer to my beck and call, to follow my instructions. In the church and the church context, there's a downside to that. Because if we start thinking of people like Malcolm and full-time ministry staff as employees of the church, it starts shaping a dynamic that starts thinking like the world which is so different from what John is trying to say here and trying to teach Gaius. He says, no, you are co-workers. You are colleagues. You are partners. But in our dynamic, we, we, we so easily fall into this trap of, oh, you know, he's an employee. And he's there to you know, follow our instructions and do what we tell him or her. Um, and I just think that's something for us to, to really think about and keep in mind. And even as we start growing as a church, um, that you know, if, if we have people that, that we support in the ministry, you know, and, and uh, we've been bouncing around the idea, I've, I've throw, thrown uh, in the idea uh, in the leadership team of, oh, maybe you know, one day we can afford an intern you know, that can uh, you know, help us here in Watford with, with the youth and, and maybe do a, start a campus ministry at one, some of the colleges here or you know, something like that. And we will support them to always keep that mindset. You know, these people are not employees. Yeah, maybe le legally they are because that's the best way. That's how our society and our system works. But they serve God and they serve the Lord, and we just support them in that role. And that is exactly what Gaius is trying, to, uh, what John is trying to tell Gaius. He said, you know, support them in a way, in a manner that is honoring God, which is different from the way the world thinks and works and, and operates. Uh, we're going to finish off with a communion now. If you want to turn to Ephesians 2, verse 18... <clears throat> you know, back to that thought of John tells Gaius to, to treat them like, you know, receive them with love and accept them with love. He treated them like, you know, members of their, his own household. In Ephesians 2 verse 18, it says, For through him, meaning through Jesus, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You know, it's actually quite amazing that, that through the cross and through the death of Jesus on the cross, he reconciled us so that just like you know, a traveling missionary can look forward to hospitality somewhere else and being received with open arms, it says, uh, you know, God, now we are no longer strangers to God. We are no longer aliens. We're no longer foreigners. God has no xenophobia towards us, treating us like strangers. 
looking at us and thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know these people. Um, through the cross, we, becomes, we become fellow citizens with God's people. So we, we are all of the same tribe, and we are members of his household. And that is amazing to think that that is the, um, in the life to come, we can also look forward to experiencing the hospitality of God. Uh, we will be welcomed into the heavenly abode, not as strangers, but treated as members of his household. And that's been made possible through the cross of Christ. Uh, in this passage in Ephesians, in the, from the, in verse 16 to 17, it, it talks exactly about this has been made possible through the death of Christ on the cross. And therefore, through Jesus, we, we now have access to the Father um, without any barriers. So as we have the communion, uh, let's reflect on that. Let's reflect on how wonderful it is that God completely loves us without any xenophobia. And uh, let's also reflect on what we have in our hearts sometimes where we have some kind of xenophobia towards other faiths, religions, denominations, races, cultures, uh, whatever it is that, that uh, sometimes stirs up our heart. Uh, let's pray for the bread and the wine. <clears throat> Dear God and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much that uh, you reconciled us to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing him to spill his blood on the cross so that we can be reconciled. Uh, thank you that our sins can be forgiven through that. As we have this bread, please bless it in our bodies as we remember the broken body of Christ. As we have the fruit of the vine, please bless it in our bodies as we remember the spilt uh, blood of Christ through which we receive forgiveness. And Father, please keep on forgiving us our sins. Forgive us the sins of our heart, Father, that nobody sees God. Uh, Father, and uh, help us to, to stay pure in heart as well and not only in the outward deeds of our lives. God. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.